you got both. Yeah, I got, I got everything here. Well, thank you, David. Good morning, Iron Men of God. How are you doing this morning? It is great to see you. It's great to be in front of a group of strapping young men this morning. I am uh, so blessed. And uh, hey, yeah, we got some of my guys representing in the back over there. It's good to see you guys. Um, you know, it is, it is such an honor to be here. Uh, such a blessing to see some familiar faces, too, from LifeBridge and some other guys that hopefully I'll be able to get to meet at some point. And um, in case we haven't had the opportunity to meet, uh, my name is Luke Lazan, and uh, myself, my wife, Lindsay, we... We're pretty new to the Orlando area, to be 100% honest with you. Uh, We got here in July, so we have not even been here for a year, and it it was just a crazy set of circumstances that happened, and had some crazy guys bring me in and just be like, hey, we, we have a vision for the young adult ministry. What do you think about that? And initially, the conversation was, hey, can you come, can you come be the youth pastor? And I said, not only no, but no, <laughs> like, you know, not unless you want me to be fired immediately. So um, started talking about being the young adults pastor, and I was like, now that is something that I'm passionate about. And so um, it's just been amazing what God's done in a short amount of time as we felt called to move from Atlanta here, and so, you know, David put me on the spot and said that I would explain the name of the ministry, and so this is not something I had planned on, but here we go. Uh, so it is called Key. It looks like it's spelled Quay, and a lot of people are like, is that just like a millennial way of spelling something cool and different? I don't get it. And uh, anyway, the whole idea is that a key is, a, is an actual thing. A key is a concrete stone or metal platform that is projecting or lying alongside water, and it's what ships use to stabilize. Whenever they come in from rough seas and they sail into the harbor, they land at the key, and the key is where you repurpose the ship. It's that stabilizing foundation so that you can remove old cargo and old crew, and you can repurpose it with new cargo and new crew, and then you send it back out on a new mission. And I don't know if you've caught this, but this next generation is lost. And so we are trying to repurpose their ship. We are trying to tell them, hey, we're trying to take off some of these things that you think are safe places and that you think are truths in your life that just simply are not. And we want to send you out with absolute truth, with the absolute love and certainty of God in your life and see what that looks like for you. Because right now, whatever you're doing, it ain't working. So... That's the whole point of what Key is, and it's just been incredible to see how God has moved in that. Just a quick, quick note, we recently had a a worship night, and it was was crazy. I was like, I hope people show up, and uh, we had 350 people show up. Uh, We planned to have, I think, nine baptisms, and then I had my man Chief over here, our our pastoral care guy, Ron Camblin, was so, so helpful in stepping in. He jumped in the tank with me because we had like seven spontaneous baptisms, people that said, I just want to give my life to Christ. I can't miss this moment. And so uh, just, just amazing to see what God is doing there. And I, I really can't put it into words. And so uh, I have to say uh, we're, we're beyond thankful for what God is doing. And also, um, you know, those of you who have moved before, you'll understand this. But one of the things we've been so pleasantly surprised by moving here into this community, and it's never a guarantee, is, uh, is just the community of people that are here, the way that people have come around us and have really surrounded us. It's been such an honor. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there are men that are leading in this community. Uh, I, was, I was joking with David in the back, and I said, you know, uh, I recently had lunch with this guy, that young guy that's really been looking to get into ministry, seeking my advice, uh, Jim Henry, this week. And, uh, you know, and... Uh, 
you know, it was, I feel like now I have my Orlando seal of approval. I feel like, you know, that I have met with his holiness. And so uh, it, it was such an honor. It was so awesome. And so just to see that there's a legacy of guys like that in this area is incredible. And so uh, just thank you guys for having me. And uh, I got to give honor where honor's due to, uh, to David. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your leadership and your vision. Um, it's incredible uh, to, to be asked to be here, especially because, you know, we had a conversation and I said, David, um, you know, do you, do, you, do you tend to ask people like me to come speak? Meaning, am, are you usually having older guys or uh, chronologically superior people speak to me? Or am I going to be the youngest guy that's ever spoken here? And he said, let me look really quick. And he said, yeah, by a mile, you're going to be the youngest guy that's, uh, that's ever spoken here. And I said, great. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know something also, just up front. I don't know how this works with you, but uh, I, like, I'm not going to pay you to speak. Like, you know, this is, uh, I said, David, I'm offended. Not because you're not paying me, but because I'm a, I'm a millennial. I came prepackaged that way. And, uh, and I said, but, you know, here's the deal. Give me a participation trophy. We'll call it even. It's fine. So, uh, you know, thank you guys for, uh, you know, thank you for having me. But uh, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys today, honestly. And so the topic that I was given this morning is uh, one that probably seems silly on the surface, but at the end of the day, for all of us that call ourselves believers, we have had to wrestle through this question ourselves at one point or another. And the question is, did Jesus claim to be God? And on the surface, that might seem like a waste of our time, right? Like, I mean, of course he did, or what are we doing? Like, why are we here? Who else do we think he claimed to be? Of course he claimed to be God, but the more that I thought about it, it really got my wheels turning quite a bit because the initial answer out of our mouths is usually an absolute yes, but you could see where people kind of struggle to land there. Uh, I was thinking back on my own life about when was the first time that I really had to wrestle through that question in an intellectual way, not in a way that was something that is regurgitated, not because I'd grown up in the church, not because I'd heard it from family or even just the people who loved me. Uh, and ironically, the first time I ever had to wrestle through that question, I was here in Orlando like 13 years ago. Uh, whenever I was a kid, we had come to visit Universal and I was with just some friends of mine. We had gotten the ability to, we had a friend whose mom was like a travel agent or something. So we got to come pretty cheap and there was a young group of missionary guys, local missionaries, that were going around kind of evangelizing on CityWalk. And all of my friends, I, you know, we did, when you're that age, you're not really having conversations like, you know, what do you think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, it's more just like, do you want to go do something stupid? And so, um, you know, I, I'd never really gone there with them. And so these local missionaries, they come up and they're just like, hey, you know, we're just going around curious about what people think about uh, about God and how that's going. And so they asked all my friends there, like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And to my shock, all of them were like, ah, yeah, you know, he's solid moral teacher, not a, not like God, you know, I don't like worship him. And I'm like, my whole world's collapsing in front of me. I'm like, I thought I knew you, like, what is going on? So finally they say, do, does any, anyone in this group believe that, that Jesus is God? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, and then I realized, I, I don't know why, but, but I do. And it was because everybody in my life that loved me to that point 
They believed that. And so we all went back to the hotel, and while everyone's skipping around, acting like nothing had happened, my whole worldview is collapsing. And so when they all go to sleep, I'm scrolling on my phone like, is Jesus God? And so I think it's a serious question that we need to answer for ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. In C.S. Lewis' masterpiece, Mere Christianity, uh, he presents the readers with a question that we've probably all heard in some form or fashion. And really, it's, it's not a question so much as it's a trilemma. Uh, it's something that we have to grapple with. And he said this. It's a fairly lengthy quote, but I want to read it here. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being some great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that either he was a lunatic or a fiend, or consequently, neither however strange, terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. That Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And the hard thing about living in Western society, particularly at the times that we're living in now, is that there's no such thing as gray space. It's black or it's white. And the problem for those of us that are followers of Jesus is that if we scroll through the scriptures, you will never find the sentence out of Jesus' lips, I am God. It's not there. But as we look, we can see that Jesus does in fact make that claim. And it doesn't only start with the things that Jesus says, and we'll get to some of those later. We can see that Jesus makes the claim to be the Son of God even before the incarnation in the Old Testament leading into Jesus' earthly ministry. We can see exactly who Jesus claims to be. Because some of the claims, they're not just verbal and physical. We can see it that in this prophetic narrative that God has written, only one man is able to fulfill these claims in a narrative position, that Jesus fulfills God's divine plan in history by being born at the time he is in a lineage that only he can fulfill. In Mark chapter 1, listen to what is said here. He says in Mark 1, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, the word Lord there is critical for our understanding of what's being claimed here in Mark chapter 1 that we'll miss if we don't even know the original language of what's being said here. You got to keep in mind that when Mark writes his gospel and when any New Testament book is written, it's written in Greek. And the quotations that are used for the Old Testament to be translated into the New Testament, they're done so from the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And in the Septuagint, the Greek rendering for the word Lord is the Greek word kurios, which means master or Lord. 
And so when we read Mark, we see something interesting that the word kurios fills in for the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh is God, it's Lord. So if the filler for that is kurios, and that's the spot that Jesus fills, there's a claim that's being made here. Nearly every time in the New Testament where that Greek word kurios is used, it is standing in for Yahweh in the New Testament, in its New Testament source. So when Mark writes to start his gospel in Mark 1, we see a few things. I want to read it again. It says in Mark 1, verses 2 through 3, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the kurios, of Yahweh, of the Lord, of God. Make his paths straight. This is powerful that Mark quotes Old Testament prophets and sources. He quotes Isaiah verbatim and he has echoes and twinges of Malachi and Exodus here in the language that he's using that the Old Testament prophesies about the coming Messiah, that a messenger is going to come and prepare the way of the Lord. Two characters are presented here. And Mark starts his gospel by pointing to the fulfillment of these two characters right off the bat. John the Baptist as the messenger crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And who is the Lord? Who is the Kurios, whose name stands in for Yahweh, who's God? It's Jesus Christ. And most Jewish people that are reading Mark 1, we flip through it and we've got a whole different worldview. But if you were a first century Jew reading this, you would know exactly what the claim is. And you would either see that as heresy and proceed cautiously, or you would see that as an absolute fact. And you would know that the author is claiming and Jesus is claiming, I'm not just a man, I'm God. And Jesus not only makes this claim by fitting into the narrative of divinity and deity, he also makes this claim himself by doing things that are psychotic, that are things only God could claim. One of the things that we see Jesus do that absolutely startles the Jewish people is he just starts walking around forgiving sin. I mean, that is a ludicrous claim if you're not God. It's crazy, like, it's not like in the sense, like, if you hurt me, I'm just like, I forgive you. I'm sorry about that. No, he's just walking around being like, you're forgiven. Like, if I just started walking around you and being like, you're forgiven, guys, good for you. Like, I'm, I, I just want you to know all those things you've done, you are forgiven. I mean, the Jewish people are flipping out. They're like, Who? he can't do that. That's exactly what Jesus is doing, though. It's funny, I read one commentator, and he made an interesting modern-day apt claim about what this would be like. He said, Jesus is going around the college campus saying, your debt's forgiven. Also, here's your degree. And, and pe- the people that run the campus are like, yeah, no, 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 that, who, who do you think you are? But that's what he's doing to the point where the Pharisees are freaking out about these claims that only God could make. Mark 2 is probably one of the greatest examples, and we see this in multiple other places in the Gospels that when Jesus is in Capernaum, when he's teaching from home, these guys bring their paralyzed friend to him, and they can't get in because there's a crowd that's filling outside of the house, and so they're like, we're going to hit the roof, which, by the way, get you some friends that will rip the roof off for you in faith. And so they bring him up to the roof, and they say, if we can't get in, we'll just punch a hole in this thing. And they do, and they lower him to the feet of Jesus. And what does it say in verse 5? It says, Jesus saw their faith 
and then said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then we're told some of the scribes and the Pharisees began to question in their hearts, and they say, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus asks them an interesting question in verse 8. He says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Now, if you're not God, if somebody said, Luke, you're claiming to be God, I'd be like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. But Jesus doesn't say, wait, that's not what I'm saying. He says, hey, why do you question what I'm saying? Meaning, why are you questioning the claim that I'm making? He says, which is easier to say? To the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus makes the claim in his divinity to forgive sins, and he backs up that invisible claim with a visible credibility. He miraculously heals this man's visible ailment to make the claim, I can also heal his invisible ailment. I have forgiven his sins. He's making a claim and qualifies as God. And maybe one of the most direct claims that Jesus makes to being divine, we see in John chapter 10. John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And immediately after this claim, the Jews pick up their stones to stone Jesus in verse 31. Why? Jesus asked them in verse 32, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me for? And then the Jews responded, I love this. I can't imagine them having a conversation. They got like stones ready to just absolutely do Jesus in here. And they're like, it's not that we're going to do this for any of the good works that you're doing. We love that. It's that you're blaspheming because you, being a man, make yourself God. It's as plain as it gets. And there's a whole host of examples that we could really choose from. We could look at John 8, 58, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Which would be saying to all of the Jews that would understand the biblical text in such an incredible way, saying, hey, I was there before Abraham. And they're like, wait a minute, this guy's not even 50 years old. I, what do you mean, before Abraham was, I am? And not only that, they would know that he's making the claim that Moses experiences in Exodus chapter 3 when he's following the God who says, I am who I am. Jesus is saying, I am who I am. I was there before Abraham. We could talk about John 14. Jesus is speaking to Philip and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And we could do an entire year on this question alone, honestly. We could get into all of the miracles. We could talk about some of the questions that Jesus asks. I mean, why does Jesus refer to him to God as Father? 
Why does he say, my God, how does that work with the Trinity? We could get into the weeds on all of these things. And if we had time to do that, I would love to do that. But I've pinch hit for so many people. It's up to David to find more people to get through these things, right? So, you know, like, we could go through all of it. Here's the thing that matters for us this morning, and it's the only thing that matters, that Jesus absolutely makes the claim to be God, that he fits the only narrative possibility of being God. He makes the claim to be God. He qualifies himself as God in the things that he does, says, in the way that most importantly, he forgives sins. And as every man in this room hopefully comes to the realization of that he's forgiven our sins. And I think the question for this morning is a really solid one. Did Jesus claim to be God? But in a room like this, I don't think many of us are probably asking that question. I think we've already got an answer. And it's great to get into the intellectual, theological side of that. Did Jesus claim to be God? He did. But so the greater question I think that we have to ask ourselves is, what are you going to do with that information? Because we don't live like that. Because i got a whole generation that I'm ministering to on Thursday nights that thinks sex is their God. And think that really any kind of way they want to identify themselves sexually is their God. And they think that everything that they can do outside of God is God. But for whatever reason, they are not really catching on with the fact that the information we've been given in the Scriptures is true. And that the claim that Jesus makes is one that says we are not subject to whatever truth we want to live in. There is an absolute truth that Jesus does in fact make the claim to be God, that if Jesus is who he says he is, then what do we do with that information? Because the only thing you can't do is nothing. It's the only thing you can't do. That if Jesus claimed to be God, which he did, and if he died on the cross, which he did, and if the tomb is empty, which it is, what are you going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? That's a charge. There's a whole generation that doesn't know God. And here's the thing about discipleship. It flows top down. It starts with me. It starts with us. And I think we got a great group of guys in here that are committed to that. But the reason that we're missing people is not because of the things that are happening in the culture. I believe that Christ is way more compelling than culture. But we're not doing something with this information that we have. We can sit up here and talk about it all day in groups that Jesus is God, that he made that claim. But what are we going to do with that? Because the only thing you can't do is nothing. It's interesting in the Gospels, this is the most compelling thing about it, I think, that Jesus in his teachings and his parables, the most common way that he refers to God is Father or my Father. Isn't that interesting? Because as Jesus does that, what he's doing is he is inviting us all to know him as a loving father. Even when the, teaching the disciples to pray, Jesus says to the disciples, our father. Not just his father, but our father. Our father. That the love between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit is the same love that we are invited into to follow him in today, that that same love is available to us. And at the end of the day, the thing that I found more than anything else is especially 
especially in this next generation, and I'm just speaking on behalf of a generation, don't kick me off my soapbox, but on behalf of a generation, is the thing that they want more than teachers, the thing that they want more than real biblical solid preachers, is they want dads that don't leave them. They want fathers that will be there for them, that will show them these claims are true, guys that will disciple them. I can teach them things all day. They don't even remember the message that I preached three weeks ago, but they will remember the guys that were with them in the midst of their difficulty and their pain. They'll remember that. That love that Jesus claims with the Father is the love that's available to you and to me today and is available to this next generation and all who come to know him as God. One more story and then I'll... I'll do I close out in prayer or, or do I not close out in prayer? Does it matter? Okay, great. So, crazy story. I, uh, when I first got to Orlando, I met this guy that is now part of our production team. His name's Enrique. You can't miss him if you come to our church. He, like, filmed some of the things on, like, right by the altar. And, I mean, he's built like a, like a lineman. I mean, you know, so it's crazy. He's the only one that can, like, carry the camera. They don't put it on me. I've got a thinking man's arms. And so they... Uh, <laughs> They put it on him, and he's running around, and, you know, it's awesome. So the first time I ever met him, I was like, hey, you know, let's go out. Let's, let's get breakfast. We'd love to hear your story. And he's telling me all these different things. And he says, hey, man, I got this, uh, I got this one friend. He's, uh, he's Jewish. I don't know what to tell him. You know, they obviously don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so I'm like, whoa, what? I mean, I'm giving him all of these, like, intellectual, theological, apologetic type things. And I'm like, you need to go to him with this. You need to show him. You need to tell him. You need to reveal to him. And he's like, all right, all right, all right. All right. So we get done with breakfast. Some time goes by. He's serving. It's awesome. I'm like, hey, let's go get breakfast again. You know, it's been too long. And so we do. And as we're having breakfast, it's funny, like our time runs out. And I said to him, I said, hey, um, whatever happened to... Uh, to your Jewish buddy. Like, what happened with that relationship? And he said, oh my gosh, dude, I forgot to tell you. Like, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, as the Son of God. And I was like, I knew that information I was giving him would work. I knew that would work. I crushed that. And he said, he said, no, that wasn't it. I said, oh, okay. What, uh, what happened? He said, um, it's crazy, man. Like, I started doing that. I started telling him all the things that you told me. And he just like, wasn't receiving that very well. And so I just stopped for a second. And then I just said to him, hey, man, why don't you just pray and ask God? Is Jesus your son? And so the kid did. And he said, he started reading the Bible and he started dreaming these dreams. And he said, and, and God won't stop showing me that Jesus is the son of God. Now, what's awesome about that? We can intellectually spar all day. We can do that all day. But you know what's going to really show people that Jesus is the Son of God? Is when fathers step into a role like God steps in, like Jesus steps in. When people step in and show the rest of the world that we're dads that don't leave, that we're fathers, we're disciple makers, people that say, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. When there's a childlike faith behind things where we know enough, it's important to know, don't catch me wrong here. It's important to have an intellectual foundation, clearly, where we can look to the scriptures and theologically say, hey, Jesus makes the claim to be the son of God. But there's something about that childlike faith 
when we can come to our Father and we can just go, you know what, why don't you ask Him? Because He's generous in giving the wisdom to answer. And one thing that's been absolutely revealed to us is that we can rest assured that Jesus is the Son of God. We didn't, we didn't have to create that narrative or that title for Him. He claimed it. He claimed it. And right now, we have the freedom and the option to determine that for ourselves. Did Jesus claim to be God? But probably one of the greatest things that we know as followers of Jesus in this room is that while we have the option to determine that for ourselves right now, there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and you will not have the option. You will just have the realization that Jesus Christ is God, that he's Lord of your life, whether you asked for that or not. And I'm thankful for this group of men that's here that already believes that, that knows that. And I'm so honored to be a part of what David, you've built, and what God really ultimately is building here. I'm so honored to be a part of a group of men. I mean, you go to churches and you don't see groups of men like this. I mean, I've been to churches of like 20,000 members, and it's like, what's your men's ministry look like? We got six guys. That's about, that's about right. Um, it's so encouraging to be here and to see that. And so what are we going to do with that? What do we do with that information? The only thing we can't do is nothing. And we know that Jesus makes that claim. And so we can go forth with the realization and really in the power of the resurrection, knowing that that claim is solidified in the reality of an empty tomb. Let me pray for us really quickly. Well, Father, God, I just, I just really feel... just a humility in this room, Lord. And God, your word is clear that if, if men would humble themselves before you, God, that you would exalt them. And God, I pray right now that for every man that's in here, Lord, no matter what it is that's going on in their life, God, I pray that they'd be able to lead fearlessly. Lord, I pray that they'd be able to lead in the truth and the knowledge and the power of the things that we've talked about this morning. That Lord, you are God. That Jesus, you did come and you did die for our sins, God. You could make the claim that we are forgiven because you took on the penalty that we deserved. Lord, you were the one who went to the cross and said, it was like there was 10,000 feet of water high and wide, and it's like it all was coming crashing down upon us, but the ground opened up just before and swallowed it all because, Lord, you took on what we deserved, Lord. It was overwhelming, but we can stand here today knowing that we are forgiven. God, I pray that we can walk out of this place today knowing that in that forgiveness, we have the ability to let others know that they're forgiven in Jesus. God, I pray over the circumstances of every man in here, the things that are distracting them, the things that are keeping them and hindering them from their relationship with you, Lord, that they would be able to see that you are greater, God, that you are sovereign over both the blessings in our lives and over the suffering in our lives, God, that you are with us in all ways. You're the perfect Father. God, I pray that we could go forward from this moment and let other people know that same truth. God, compel us. Don't allow us to walk out of here and feel like an empty charge and that we're just going to go to work or go do whatever it is that we're going to do after this. God, I pray that we would go out of this place in the power of your Holy Spirit proclaiming the good news that we know to be true, especially as we come upon Palm Sunday, God, especially as we come upon Passion Week, Father. Remind us, strengthen us, sustain us, and see us through. 
We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.